two interesting stories, internationally flavored stories, two stories with an international tinge to them. We don't have any boys from London, but I'll start with a story from London. Um, Rav Amital once told us the story that his grandfather, his wife's grandfather, was one of the leading of his generation, of Isra Zalman Meltzer. And it's a story about Rav Zalman Meltzer's son, Rav Feifel. So it really, really wasn't about Rav Amital, but he captured a very interesting... And it's one of the only stories that I heard both from Rav Amital and from Rav Lachmasi, not about the same person, but the same story, the same idea, the same concept. So it's very deeply resonant. Evidently, Rav Feifel Meltzer, Rav Zalman Meltzer's son, once went to London to visit, to Kipshir, to, I don't know what he went for. And he was introduced by Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, one of the leading Gidolim of his own, of his day, of his generation. So he introduced him. And the way he introduced him is he talked about his father. And he said, Do you know who his father is? Rabbi Zalman Meltzer. He said, Even if Rabbi Zalman Meltzer never knew how to learn, and even if Mamish didn't know how to learn, he suggested twice, he didn't know how to open a sefer, he would have been the nicest Jew in all of Yushalayim. And that this is his son that's now coming to, to meet us. Namely, that you don't always have it. A lot of lot of Tamid Chachamim, a lot of very accomplished people in very other aspects of religion. They're not necessarily nice people. I mean, they're not mean-spirited. They're not um, exploitative. They're not. But not everyone is the sweetest person in the world. And when you have a gadol, certainly in Torah, who's also able to have that. Just think of the types of, even Rebbe's, you haven't necessarily met that many Gedolim, but the types of Rebbe's you've met. Some of them have a sweet disposition, there's a kindness, there's a softness, you wouldn't mind spending time with them talking to them on a park bench. And then some, some of them just don't have it, but sometimes when you find the sweetness, and so why, why is the story so resonant? Uh, first of all, because Ramitel was sweet, but I don't think he was over, I mean, he was, he had, he was sharp when he needed to be. Rav Aaron told us this story about Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach, with whom Rav Lichtenstein was very close. And I remember when Rav Aaron told the story, he said it in Yiddish. And I never knew, I never asked Rav Aaron whether he got the story from Rav Amital or he had this line on his own. But when Rav Aaron Lichtenstein told us about Rav Shlomo Zalman, who I never met, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein said, even if he didn't know how to learn, he wasn't such a gadol, and Rav Aaron would say it in Yiddish, because Rav Aaron Lichtenstein would speak a lot in Yiddish, because he wanted to bridge us back to the European world, as I told you when I spoke with you last week. He said that even if Rav Zalman didn't know how to learn and wasn't such a gadol, which in English means he would have been the nicest Jew in Yerushalayim. Now what's interesting about that story is that when Rav Lichtenstein used that phrase to describe Rav Zalman, who again I can't corroborate or not how sweet he was, I don't really know him that well, but it was clear that Rav Aaron was, in a way that he was unaware, was talking about himself. Because if you ask me to give a epithet for Rav Lichtenstein, it clearly is that. I, I don't know that I would ever, that I'll ever meet a sweeter and kinder person than Rav Lichtenstein. Now, this is about Rav Amital's stories, but it's a nice chance to... Uh, I know I'll never meet a kinder person than Rav Aaron. Um, at Rav Aaron's Hesped, at the Shiva, the people that were crying the most were the Makolet owner from Katamon. We hadn't lived in 10 years, so I just missed this man and seeing him every day. So, try to find Rabbein who know a lot of Torah and who are very, very adept in halacha and can lead you and inspire you, but also try to have an eye for people who have just sweet and good personalities and enjoy being in their presence and they're respectful of you and just kind people. It's, a, it's an important trait that Rav Amital conveyed to us through this story. The second story, just since we're running out of time, these are short stories, it involves an NTA boy. So now I've got your attention. 
a long, long time ago at Atis. So Rav Amitel said, let's see if I get the, the phraseology right, he said, I'm a regular person. We talked yesterday about how Rav Amital was very proud of the fact he was a regular person, a Yudi Pashur, a simple Jew. And he said, by the way, I like Kavod. I like ego. I like running after Kavod. So some MTA boy came over to Rav Amital and said, Rebbe, what does that mean? You're not allowed to like Kavod. You're, not, you're supposed to run away from Kavod. So Rav Amital said, I just, I'm a normal person. I like having Kavod. And the boy just didn't understand what that meant because it's against Chazal. You're not supposed to feed your ego. Finally, at the end of the year, Rav Amital met the NTA boys, as he would do every year on their way out. And the boy went over to Rav Amital and said, I understand now what you mean. I also like Kavod. And Rav Amital was very excited by that. Now, why was he excited? What does this mean? So, first, Rav Amital hated Kavod. He hated external Kavod. When he sat and gave out Mordechai in his community, he wasn't the Rav there. He didn't sit on a high pedestal or on a high throne. Rav Amital didn't have... Sometimes you'll see rabbis who'll walk in, people who think they're important rabbis, and they're, they're accompanied by Mishamshin, they're accompanied by people. You know, I tell this like that. You walk in by yourself, you're a normal person, you just enter a room, you don't have to have your, uh, your accomplices or your wingmen escort you and pave the way for you and clear their, clear their house for you. I, I, I don't know of any external vestiges of Kavod that Ramitel wanted, even here in the yeshiva, the fact that the rabbim sit scattered amongst the yeshiva even though the Rosh had to sit up front because we want you to see the Rosh Hashiva, we don't feel like the Rebbe's are all going to sit up front and you're gawking at us. And we're... But what Rav Amitel meant was not kavod, but satisfaction in your accomplishments. Rav Amitel um, once, uh, I mean, I remember, I, again, I'm feeding story upon story upon story. Someone told me a story that Rav Amitel and he were once attending some event in Tel Aviv for real secular people, real people that were antagonistic towards religion, antagonistic towards religious people. And when they finished the event, he was walking with Ramitel back to the car, and three classic Tel Aviv hipsters with long hair, and, and very, very far from the world of religion, they passed him on the street, and one of them said, you're Amital, right? Your name is Amital, right? And he said, yeah. And he said, you're the only rabbi that I can listen to anything about religion. Every other rabbi who speaks about religion gives me such a vulgar taste about religion, the way it's expressed, without you. And I can't tell you how many times this happened to me in my 25 years plus at making Aliyah, where I'm in secular environments and people ask me where I teach. Oh, that's Rav Amital's yeshiva. Oh, that's yeshiva. Amital, right? Ami something, the gush, Ami gush, you know, you know the name, but they know the person. And the Rav said that gives them a sense of satisfaction that you've accomplished something. That's not, that's not false external honorifics, beatifics. That's a sense of deep accomplishment that you've been able to spread the word of Hashem with this Makadish Him So that's when Rav Amitel said, I like Kavod. He didn't mean he likes being honored by people and, and receiving privileges. Rav Amitel lived a very, very simple life. But the sense of accomplishment that Hashem gave you a healthy sense of ego, and when that ego helps you accomplish important tasks and important objectives and important accomplishments in this world. But what's also inherent in the story is that accept the fact that you're a human being. Sometimes when we get into this religious loop and we try to deny our humanity because we want to try to transcend our humanity, we want to try to push our humanity, we want to try to stretch our humanity to, uh, to discipline ourselves and not to fall prey to our human instincts and not to fall prey to our hormones. Sometimes it's hard to know where to draw the line between not being victimized by the baser and meaner and darker aspects of humanity that we do want to liberate ourselves from, but then also denying who we are as people at our core. 
And HaKadosh Baruch Hu embedded us with an ego. And our egotistical people employ that egotism in a toxic way that's harmful to others, that's abusive to others, that's self-aggrandizing. But if your ego leads you to the world of accomplishment and you take satisfaction with your accomplishment in a quiet way, that's not grandiose and it's not pompous, that's what Hashem wants from you. And in many, many other areas, when you're trying to be an Ovid Hashem, don't try to escape the fact that you're a human being and try to work within the terms of your human traits and qualities and, and try to ennoble them and draw out the, the, the purer parts of them rather than the darker parts of them. And in particular, the third part of the story is is that that's what makes Chinuch, if, if a Talmud sees in his Rebbe the ability to be a human being, it's easier to, to grow because sometimes when you look at Rebbeim, oh my goodness, they're titans, they're superhuman beings, they're so beyond, they'll never accomplish, they're such tzaddikim, they're such tamidei chachamim, I'll never... And there's this distance that exists between Rebbe's and Talmidim that makes it very crushing for Talmidim. And I imagine some Rebbeim like that distance because it feeds their own sense of self. But here I'm saying, I'm a normal person. I like covered. And then this South African or Australian person, Rebbe, you know, I also like covered. We're the same. We're the same boat. I'm like you. You're an egotist. I'm obviously not in that sense. So there are many, many layers to this story. One layer to the story is work within the terms of your human limitations. And the second layer is to don't, as many of you will be Rebbeim, many of you may not be Rebbeim, but it's true in any position of authority. Present yourself as a human being. Present yourself. Don't let. Don't want people to see you as anything other than a simple human being, as a father. The hardest thing for a child is, oh, my father's so perfect. My father's so beyond. My father's a rabbi, and I'll never be like my father. And and maybe it, it, it gives you a good, cozy feeling. Your children look up to you. But the problem is, your children then turn turn to be 14 years old. They no longer see you that way. They can say he's just a human being. He's trying their best with flaws, with strengths, with weaknesses. And all of a sudden, people can learn from you because they identify with you in a way that is relevant for their lives rather than, oh, he's so, on, so honorable, he's so beyond. I can never imagine being like that person. Okay? Okay, so today is Rav Amital's yard site. So we will, Mir Tzashem, talk a little bit about Rav Amital and his favorite song. There's been a series about Rav Amital's favorite stories. But we'll talk about Ramitel's favorite song and some of the stories that are associated with that song and why it's really at the core of one of the values that Ramitel taught us. So welcome back to Jonah. Good to see you bright and early. Jonah Chill, anyone didn't meet Jonah? I don't know if you guys had a chance to. So, Ramitel's favorite song, Vitaira Libenu, Liavdacha, Biemes. If you look up the YouTube videos, his YouTube, Aramital, Vitaira Libeno, we still sing it at Tish's. You may be familiar with it. I don't know if you heard it at Tish. Vitaira Libeno, Liavdecha, 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 Ayayayay, BMS. And when you say BMS, you try to have as much Kavani as you can. Why? Because that's what we're striving for in our Vodas Hashem to be as truthful and as honest and as authentic and as genuine and real as possible. So yesterday I spoke about the dangers of not being authentic because in religion you're trying to become something else. You're trying to push beyond the boundaries of humanity. You're trying to become an angel. You're trying to become celestial. You're trying to transcend limitations as a human being. Not sleep, not eat, learn study Hashem's infinite Torah what else is infinite physics is an infinite math is an infinite history is an infinite Torah is infinite human beings are finite so there's a struggle between 
being a human being and accepting the limitations of being a human being in religion and accepting the fact that you're a human being and you're a Vodas Hashem, as we spoke about yesterday, but that would be a struggle even if you lived on a desert island. It's nothing to do with... It's between you and religion. The process of religion itself challenges you to be something other than a human, but how can you maintain your humanity and accept your limits by still trying to be as great an Ovid Hashem as you can? But you don't live religion on a desert island, and that's what we're talking about today. We all practice religion in communities of people, with other people watching, in shul, in our community. So on the one hand, social pressure, peer pressure is great. How much of your firm guide is because of how you were born and how you were raised and the schools you went to and the environments you placed in because you know that people are watching and you're conscious of the fact that people are watching you and therefore you want to perform based on accepted codes and accepted norms and accepted ways of behavior. But on the other hand, if you're only serving a Kodesh Baruch Hu because of people watching you and because of how people are looking at you and because you want to be accepted then how authentic is it? How real is it? How much is it you? How much is it part of your heart and part of your identity? And how much is it just because you want to be accepted? So in Avodah Hashem in general, there's a very, very delicate balance between peer pressure, right? Jonah now is a, is a councilman on a summer program for Americans. How much peer pressure is positively used in that program to get boys to become more religious? And then the hope is that authenticity will come down the line. At some point it will become real and become authentic. But as you grow older in life, that balance between conformity and pressure to conform and authenticity becomes much more delicate. So, for example, Rav Amitav would always ask the following question. This isn't a song. This isn't a story. This is a question. He says, could you imagine if people, instead of eating maror at home in their dining rooms and taking dalad minim in shul on sukkahs, let's say the situation were reversed. Let's say people would bring maror to shul. We'd all eat maror together in shul. And Dalad Minim we take in the privacy of our own home. People would end up spending $10 on Dalad Minim and $500 on lettuce. Because why do people really plunk down so much money for a Dalad Minim? Because you take it in surely. You want people to see how nice your esterog is. You want people to see how nice your lulav is. Look how big, look how green, look how yellow. And if we took Mara and Shul, you'd reach the odd situation where people would be spending $500 on lettuce. Look how green it is. Look at the leaves, look at the veins, look at the cabbage. It would be ridiculous. Because so much of our religious commitment sometimes is based on peer pressure and expectations. And Rav Amital in this song was trying to tell us to not about yesterday. I want to differentiate. Yesterday's question was, when you're serving Hashem and trying to be an angel, can you accept the fact that you're a human being? Today's question, today's challenge is, BMS is how much is authentic and you're doing it simply out of an inner, genuine identity and how much of it is just because you want to have people see you in a certain way because you're aware that people are watching you. Why is authenticity important in life? And then I'll give you two examples, or three examples of Ramital's authenticity. Well, first of all, in relationships. Think about it. Which relationships in life do you really value? Friends, siblings, parents, one day children, a wife, obviously Rebbeim. Are you able to identify that there are some people that are just really authentic people? You really feel that you're getting them. They're not holding anything back. They're not playing you. They're not, obviously, manipulative is very, very far from authenticity. But even if a person's not manipulative, they say things that you want to hear. They manage the relationship. And when do you really feel like you're getting the real, unedited truth? Now, in today's world, because there's so much PC and there's so much inauthenticity, people like Trump have a lot of following because you feel that they're authentic because they're saying negative things and racist comments and bigoted comments. But 
So you're not attracted to the bigotry, but you're attracted to the breath of fresh air. Ah, oh, this is an authentic person. He says it like it is. Okay, so those are extreme cases of buffoonery, extreme cases of cartoonish people. But think about your relationships. Which people in your life come across as really authentic? You feel like this is the real... If I, if I saw them in a different context, they'd really be the same person. It really won't be a different person. So to be an authentic person helps you in relationships. And one day in a marriage, as authentic as you are, that's how healthy your marriage will be. Second part of authenticity is self-awareness. I was talking the other day to a boy who left yeshiva, and I said, what are the meters you think you gained in yeshiva? So he said, this meter, that meter, that meter. I said, you know what I think you really gained in yeshiva? Self-awareness. You really are aware of yourself. You're honest with yourself. If you're an authentic person, then you know what you're feeling, and you know how certain mitzvahs or certain activities and decisions affect you and why you choose them. And then when you know yourself, you can change. You can assess yourself. See, these are my good traits. These are my bad traits. This is why I do things. This is what pressures me. This is when I perform averos. So authenticity is important in relationships. It's important in your relationship with yourself. And it's extremely important, of course, in your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, by definition, authentic. He's, by definition, MS. There's no, so there's no fake to Hashem. Hashem, Hashem it's all reality. So you want to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you want to feel like your relationship... So that song, Vitayr Libaynuli of the Chabi MS, is how can I build religion, and I don't have to play to the masses. I don't have to appear a certain way. I don't have to look a certain way. I just... So, for example, Ravami tells Shimon Esrei, was always quick. He always finished first. He didn't feel like, well, I'm the Rosh Hashiva, and people are looking at me, and people are looking at my Shmona Esrei, and they're going to want to be inspired by my Shmona Esrei, so therefore I have to time my Shmona Esrei based on how people will think about me as the Rosh Hashiva. Or if Amital was once asked to give a bracha, a classic story, at a party for a newborn baby girl. So he got up and he gave a bracha, Yehi Ratzon, that she should be as cute as her sister's. And the mother was a little bit taken aback. What do you mean? That, that's a bracha I could have said. I wanted you, the Rebbe, to give the bracha about long life and brachos and chuppah and meisim tovim and Torah because that's the role of the Rosh Hashiva, to give the highfalutin bracha. And I don't have to play that role. Just, she should be a cute girl. Just be a cute girl like her sisters. This is a cute. She should be cute like her sisters. So the ability just to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and, and not to be a role player, not to serve Hashem because of how this one's looking at you or that one's looking... Again, it's very delicate because at this stage in your life you're still young and you're still impressionable and peer pressure and conformity is healthy to be part of a community and to feel like, well, I'm not so sure I want to dive in, but everyone's watching, so we go to shul. I'm not so sure I want to keep mitzvahs, and mitzvahs but, you know, I'll just do what everyone else is doing because social pressure, especially at this age, acts as a real stabilizing force. But at some point... You have to find an inner voice and serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not because anyone's watching or because the impact will have on other people and not do anything based on the role playing and the roles you have to play. Oh, I'm the Rosh Hashiva. This is the bracha I should give. I'm the Rosh Hashiva. This is the length of my Shmon Esrei. And that's what Rav Amital conveyed by that song, Vitayr Libeinu Liavdecha Emes. The Emes. How can you find that Emes? And it's a lifelong search. You never find Emes. Remember, Rav Amital would tell us during Tefillah Sna'ilah, he would say that, how can we dive into Hashem? Karav Hashem lechol, karav lechol emes. And Hashem only answers people that are honest, that are authentic, that really bear their soul, that don't come with any presumption or artifice or human convention. And we are not people of emes. It's a lifelong pursuit. And then you'd expect the next part of the sikhat to be, but now it's silas ne'ilah. And now you finally have purged yourself of conceit and dishonesty. And now you can finally be emes. You should dive in the next field of emes. That's not how the Sikha went. He said, 
because he was so honest. He said, even today we can't find Emma. So how are we going to daven? And he quoted the other Pasuk, Karav Hashem Lanish Breilev. Hashem is close to people who are brokenhearted. And if you're brokenhearted, even if you're dishonest, because we're all dishonest, because it's all relative, then Hashem, that itself is honesty. The most dishonest way for Avamitel to continue in that speech is to say, well, now you can be honest because it's Tfilos Neila, because we're human beings, and human beings are enveloped in conceit and, and confusion and dishonesty. So the most honest thing for Avamitel to say at that moment, the most authentic and genuine statement was, well, we can't even be honest today, but let's at least find another pathway because we're brokenhearted and we're submissive. And after the Holocaust, Avamitel would say, every Jew is brokenhearted, even if you don't feel brokenhearted because we're still recovering from such a great tragedy. So that's the best way to cap off these, this month of discussing Rabamital, think of that song, YouTube, that song, Vitari Libanuli Abdukhabiyamas, and try as you're growing to, on the one hand, put yourself in situations in which even when you underperform based on your own motivation and purity of intent, you still have frameworks and societies and communities and conforming ethos to bend your will and to condition you. But as you're following those frameworks, find the inner authenticity. Try not to not not to be taking a lulav because everyone's watching, but taking a lula because it's you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I'll just end with two of the most brave decisions that Amital took in his life, which also have to do with honesty and not caring about how people will look at you and think of you and just doing what's right. Because Amital was a man of great courage, and I spoke two, three weeks ago about, about courage and the role of courage in Avodah Hashem. In 1971, Amital invited Rav Lachtensin to become the Rosh Hashiva. He handed the keys to Rav Aaron. Of course, Rav Aaron was a big was a modest person, as I'll said, I'll only do it if you agree to be my co-Rosh Hashiva. Do you know what it means to invite someone into your building, into your institution that you built from scratch, who in many, many ways will eclipse you? Rav Lichtenstein is, was the God of Lador. Everyone knew him with that. It wasn't like a big surprise. Oh, by the way, we hit the jackpot. We drafted a six-rounder, and he turned out to be a great player. Everyone knew who Rav Lichtenstein was. We have a great esteemed rabbi from the Lincoln Square Synagogue, Rabbi Shul, could you imagine inviting someone into your shul who will surpass you? It's hard. It's really hard because, and that's why most institutions are capped by the talent level of the person at the head. Because you don't invite people that will outstrip you. And here in 1971, Rav Amitel invites Rav and that supercharges the yeshiva. That's what creates, that's when the yeshiva goes global. That's the, that's the jet fuel on the fire. Talk about putting jet fuel on a fire and seeing the fire explode. That was the jet fuel. This would have been a small, sleepy little yeshiva, and the Gush would have been a small, sleepy little town, if not for Lichtenstein coming. And then, all of a sudden, people start paying attention. Where is Ravar and Lichtenstein? The West Bank, Gush, how could we go? Study, how could I? That was a jet fuel. And that turned this yeshiva into the room you're sitting in. What about you guys? Final question. I never met Ravar. We tell these stories are great. So sad we never got to meet him. There's a tease. All these stories you're telling us. It's one big teaser, right, Tarakin? It really isn't. Because every day you're meeting Rav Amitav. What do I mean? What makes this yeshiva so powerful, and it's so abnormal, and it's so atypical. Most institutions reach a shelf life. And the shelf life, the expiration date, is based on when the people who built the institution and run the institution move on. So, for example, taking Rabbi Shaul's um, example, are you, are you a Talmud of Rabbiskin? Yeah, you are. So in your case, it's a little bit unique because Rabbi Riskin, who founded the Shul, the Rav Shaul is the Rav of currently, was your Rebbe. So there's a, a bit of continuity. But in between, there are personalities who really weren't Rabbi Riskin's summit. It's essentially Rabbi Riskin built this incredible institution on the Upper West Side of New York City, the Lincoln Square Synagogue. 
and then he moved, made Aliyah, and then the institution rebooted itself, and new people came in of great talent, and then they lent their abilities and talents, and it just happens that what, three or four of them down the line, a Talmud of Rav Lichnesin, of Rav Riskin took over for the show. This yeshiva that you're sitting into is the exact yeshiva, more or less, that I sat in. That's called institutional currency, institutional continuity. It's the greatest institutional currency. If you're in the same, it's like some of the great sports teams that you barely notice year from year, the exact same team, exact same dynasty. Very few institutions, if at all, in the world have that. Same stories that were told 20 years ago, same songs that were sung 20 years ago, same minhagim, same ideas, same... Very, very, you, you feel that. I'm sure the guys, even the MTA guys, have only been here a couple months, you feel like, wow, this is an institution that runs very, very deep. I'm, I, I, my father learned here, and I feel like I'm in the same yeshiva as my father. My Rebbe from Melbourne learned here, same yeshiva, this is where so-and-so. How did that happen? It happened because 10 years before Ravamital died, he looked in the mirror and he said, I'm not going to live forever. I'm a human being. I'm going to appoint my successors. Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how rare it is for someone to appoint a Rosh Yeshiva? There are yeshivas today that are torn apart at the seams by succession crisis. You can walk into the great Panavid Yeshiva today. There are, sadly, sadly, two yeshivas. They don't talk. They fight. They learn separate things. They don't recognize each other. And that's, unfortunately, the norm because it's very hard for people in those positions, their Rosh Yeshiva, to look in the mirror and see mortality because everyone else sees immortality in you. And you just see yourself as a human being that's here one day and gone the next day. And then he says, you know what? Let's just support my successor and let them be Rosh Hashivas while I'm still alive. So they know that, oh, they just took over the minor league, the D league. No, they're Rev Meidan and Rev Begigi, where Rosh Hashivas, where Rav Amitel was still functioning, was still operating the yeshiva. And then, of course, when Raran did the same thing. So that means that every day you're in this yeshiva and you draw and gain from that institutional continuity that we didn't reboot. This isn't a new yeshiva with some new people, a new rebbeim, who are great, talented, do things their way. It means because of the decision of Amitel. So the two great decisions he took in his life, one he took 40 years ago, 71, for, for, oh, close to 50 years ago, and one he took 10 years ago, both came from this ability just to not have to appear I'm the Rosh Hashiva. How's it going to look if I bring someone in? This? I don't know. Bring someone in. I'm the Rosh Hashiva. How's it going to look if all of a sudden I admit that I'll die one? You know, people, nothing more. You're honest and authentic. And that's what you've benefited from this year. And the boys are still Baruch Hashem here. So today is the yard side in Baruch Hashem. All our learning and our davening and our midos and most importantly our search for authenticity. Not our authenticity. No one is authentic. And any person that uses that word to describe themselves is ironically. No one's MS. We're searching for MS. We're trying to be as MS as we can. There's no one MS. Try as hard as you can to find that relationship and that inner space that you serve Hashem. And you do the same thing. Ask yourself, ask yourself the following question. A good question on Ravami Tal Day. We'll call this Ravami Tal Day. When's the last time you did something right when no one was watching? Difficult and right and correct and courageous because you knew it was right and no one was watching. Those are really pure moments because you're at a level of connectivity and authenticity that I'm doing this simply because of my conviction and my principles and there's something beautiful here and it's not going to be tainted by my thinking all the time, well, how's the next person going to view me and how's that person going to look at me and am I going to win awards and am I going to win applause? Okay, so happy, meaningful, should be as uh, all of our learning and davening should be in your life for his neshamah.